Our text for tonight is going to be Psalm 33. Psalm 33. The beginning of Genesis is kind of the obvious text to go to if you're going to talk about creation, but there are also quite a number of psalms that approach God's creative activity in different ways. So tonight we're going to read Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is God's holy and infallible word, for us, his people, this evening. A few years back, when we were living in Grand Rapids, my mother and one of my sisters came to visit us, and someone, my parents lived in Colorado at that point, and someone had given my sister an Ohio State jacket for some reason that I never understood. And she wore it, because, you know, it was a free jacket, it was comfortable, it kept her warm. But when she wore it around Grand Rapids, we got this kind of funny response. People in grocery stores were giving her dirty looks, We went to church, and someone was like, why are you wearing that in church? And we didn't really get it. So at some point, we talked to someone, and we found out that Ohio State and Michigan college football teams have this rivalry that goes back over 100 years, and they really hate each other. Things you don't know when you grow up in Colorado, and things you find out when you move to Michigan and have family visit with Ohio State jackets. For us, it was just a jacket. I mean, a jacket. It keeps you warm. Who cares what it says? But for other people, it wasn't just a jacket. It was a symbol. It was saying something, and it was saying something that got people a bit bit riled up sometimes. So she didn't wear that jacket to Michigan much after that. As we talk about the Lord God as the creator of the universe and our Heavenly Father tonight, I want us to set our Christian beliefs in the context of of other belief systems. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, when we talk about what we believe as Christians, the whole thing can seem a little bit, a little bit vanilla maybe, a little bit plain, a little bit just 
obvious. But when we think about other belief systems, when we think about what we're saying that is different from what others believe, that's when those words really come to life. So tonight I want to put our understanding of the Lord God, the Almighty Creator of the universe, into conversation with how the ancient world saw creation and then also into conversation with how the modern world sees creation. And we'll start by going way back in history to look at chaos and the cosmos in the ancient world. Chaos and the cosmos in the ancient world. Most peoples in the modern world and the ancient world have some sort of creation story or creation myth. And in the ancient world, around the time that the Bible was written, around the time the nation of Israel was around, most people believed that before creation, there was something there, but it wasn't really much of anything. It was kind of water and darkness and just kind of something. It didn't really have any function or name or definition, but there was some kind of vague substance there, but it all existed in darkness and chaos. And then somehow out of that chaos, every culture told the story a little differently, but somehow out of all that chaos, order emerged. Often it was the gods that came first. After that, the land and the sea and the plants and the animals and people all kind of emerged. And different gods and even people might have some roles to play as all of that happened, but there wasn't really a discernible plan or purpose. There wasn't something that took the world from the beginning and brought it to its current state. There was just sort of chaos and then things that came out of chaos. And once the world was set in more or less its final form, the gods were in charge of managing it and keeping order going, but those gods were not the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality was still that unformed chaos. And just as the world came from that chaos, it was always liable to be slipping back to that chaos. The gods could maintain order sometimes, but sometimes they'd make a mistake or they'd get in a fight or they'd do something stupid or a plan would go wrong and the whole world would be in jeopardy of falling back into the primeval darkness. And so all the time, there had to be this constant managing, this keeping things running, this keeping order going so that the ultimate reality of chaos didn't come roaring back. And that was the God's job, but they were, they were petty, they were forgetful, they were envious, they were troublesome. So people spent a lot of their religious energy managing the deities and trying to keep them happy and trying to keep them focused. Because if the gods lost focus or they got mad, the whole world, or at least your part of it, could totally fall apart and slip back into darkness and chaos. In the ancient world, chaos was the ultimate reality. And you always had to be worried that things were going to go back there. And actually, that's not too different from the story that the modern world tells. You've probably heard the modern creation myth before, and chaos figures pretty prominently here too. There's chaos in the cosmos of today also. And you've probably heard this story. Back long, long ago when the universe was different than it is now, we're not quite sure what it looked like. Maybe it was smaller, maybe it was dark, maybe it was unformed. We're not really sure. But back then, some things happened. And after that, some other things happened. 
And after that, some other things happen to happen, and you work that out over billions and billions of years, and now we human beings just happened to happen. Happened to happen. We insignificant little specks of life happen to come into being on this insignificant little speck of a planet in space. Everything just happened to happen. Everything out there is chaos. The world has never had and will never have any purpose or direction. Everything came into being by chance. Everything someday will pass out of being by chance in one way or another. And of course, if everything came into being by chance, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, and so none of our lives can have any meaning and purpose. And so if you believe that modern story, that modern creation myth, if you want to call it that, there really can't be a reason, a purpose, a meaning to anything. I read a popular level science book in the last couple months, and it was kind of an interesting story that they tried to fit together all of science and the whole history of the world. And these two guys who wrote it, they did some interesting things with the science But when they tried to get into explaining the history of humanity and the meaning of the world, they really made a mess of things. They spent chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters arguing that everything was meaningless, saying since the world began, nothing's really happened except by chance. Humanity is just chance happenings. What you think is going on in your brain is just electrons moving around in some random way. It's all meaningless. There's no purpose. We don't really have any control over anything. And they argued about that for chapters and chapters before I finally just quit reading because I figured it was kind of pointless. And if you think about it, it is actually kind of ironic for people to spend chapters and chapters making reasoned arguments that there can be no such thing as reason. It's like someone trying to argue with you that you can't possibly argue with them and make any sense, but they still think you should listen to their argument. Everything is meaningless, says the modern worldview. And you can can see how if people really believe that everything happens by chance, that we came out of chaos, that the universe is going to end in some darkness sometime in the future, well, if there's no purpose in the whole universe, then there can't be any purpose in your life. If there's no order in the cosmos, you're free to do whatever you like, and so people do whatever they like. But if there's no order and no purpose, then there's also no meaning. And so, yeah, you're free to do whatever you like, but nothing that you do will ever matter. If chaos is the fundamental reality of the cosmos, we are all falling into empty nothingness forever and there is nothing else to be said. So both the ancients and us modern people, the ancient world and the modern world, look around the universe and just see chaos. The ancients spent all their energy managing the gods so that things wouldn't fall apart into nothingness. The modern world tells people there's nothing out there, there's no meaning, there's no direction, and then it leaves us in that eternal darkness and ultimate chaos again. So now let's come back to the Christian belief that the Lord our God is the almighty creator. Let's think again about the creator God of the Bible. We're coming back now to the Lord God, the almighty creator. What do we mean when we say that we believe in God, 
the creator of the universe. And let's think about this in terms of Psalm, 40, Psalm 33. Verses 4 and 5 tell us that the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. The Bible shows us a God who is right and true. The Lord is faithful to what he sets out to accomplish. He loves for things to be right, for things to be in order. And then following that in verses 6 to 9, Psalm 33 tells us that God made the heavens. God made the stars. God gathers the waters together. God puts the deep into storehouses. In the Bible, the Lord God made everything. He is the ultimate reality. Behind the cosmos stands the creator God, and he made things in a certain way, and he upholds things in a certain way. When verse 7 talks about the waters of the sea and the deep, it's getting at that idea of chaos. That verse is taking what the ancient peoples thought, and it's changing it dramatically. It's saying chaos is not the beginning Chaos will not be the end. Chaos is not what is really real. What is really real is the Lord God who made the world, the Lord God who holds the world in his hands. And so in the biblical worldview, things don't begin with this formless, shapeless mass of nothingness that somehow the world emerges out of. In the biblical view, the world begins with the word of the living God who has existed from all eternity and who has all power. Against the ancient peoples, the Bible affirms that the Lord controls the chaos. The Lord God is in charge. He constructed the universe. He holds the universe together. The forces of chaos will not, cannot, will never overwhelm him. The Lord isn't going to get distracted. He's going to stay faithful to his plans and his purposes. He is going to carry through with his good designs and his faithful plans. And against the views of the modern world, the Bible affirms that the Lord God created the world with purpose and with meaning. God made the world in a certain way and he gave it a certain order. And so we can find meaning in our lives. We can find order in the universe because the Lord put it there. We find meaning and it's genuine meaning in the patterns that God put into the world and in the patterns that God put into human life. We are really saying something profound when we affirm that we believe in God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. We're saying that we believe that there is a creator who is in control of the cosmos. We're affirming that there is a Lord God who reigns over the chaos. We're insisting that God has put meaning, order, and purpose in this world. That little affirmation that we make is packed full of meaning. The Lord God is the almighty creator of the world and of humanity. This is a powerful statement. This is something that changes our view of the world. It changes our view of who we are. It gives us a world where we can do things that matter, 
It gives us a world that's stable, that's not going to fall apart on us, and it gives us a God who's worthy of our praise. Our Lord God is the almighty creator. And at the same time, God is also our Father in heaven. The Lord brings order to the whole universe, and he's also faithful and loving. The Lord God is the almighty creator, and along with that, the Lord God is our faithful Father. Psalm 33 is full of reminders that the Lord is a God of faithfulness and love. Verses 4 and 5 tell us God is faithful in all he does. It says the earth is full of God's unfailing love. Verse 12 says that the people who belong to God are truly blessed. Verse 18 tells us the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love. This psalm is full of talk about the faithfulness and the love of God. The Lord watches out for his people. The Lord takes care of us. And there are all kinds of ways we can trace that story out through the Bible, story upon story, verse upon verse, chapter upon chapter, of ways that the Bible tells us that God is faithful and loving. But tonight I want us to work that out a bit by looking at some different names for God, some different names for God. And in the ancient world, and even in a lot of of, parts of the world today, a name isn't just something random that you give to a person. A name is something that you expect to express the essence of that person. Names matter. If you call somebody something, you're saying something about who they are. So let's talk about three names for God that we find in the Bible. The most generic name the Old Testament gives us for God is the Hebrew word for God, El or Elohim. The word is also used to talk about a lot of of other gods. It's a lot like our English word for God. You can say gods with a small g to talk about other deities, or you can say God with a capital G to talk about the Lord God who Christians believe in. And that particular word, it, it just has this sense of someone who is majestic, someone who rules over the world. Sometimes it has a sense of the creator God, the sustainer God, the mighty one. Sometimes that word shows up with El Shaddai, which emphasizes that God is the mighty one. He is the ruler of the world. He is the one who is in charge. God is the creator of the universe. But as God works with his people in the Old Testament, there's another name that comes up, and that name is Yahweh. Usually our Bibles translate this as Lord or the Lord God. But the most literal translation of Yahweh is probably something like, I am who I am. I am who I am. Now from that name, you can pull out a lot of things about who God is. God is eternal. God is unchanging. There are lots of things you can say, but maybe the most relevant one is that when God says, I am who I am, God is promising to be our faithful God. The Lord God, Yahweh, he doesn't change. He doesn't make one plan today and tomorrow make another plan. He doesn't promise to help you today and tomorrow leave you high and dry. When Yahweh says that you belong to him, you belong to him. When the Lord God makes promises, he keeps them. 
Yahweh is a powerful name for the God we serve. But then as we look toward the New Testament, there's another name for God that comes more and more into focus. God is still the creator. He is still God of the universe. God is still the faithful one. He's still the Lord of his people. But God is also our faithful father. The almighty creator, the Lord of all things, is our dad. Our daddy even. A good craftsman takes care of the things he makes. A good king cares about his subjects. But a father, a father is more than a creator. A father is more than a king. A father places ultimate value on his children. A father loves his children beyond everything else. And Jesus tells us that God is our father. God has claimed us. God has adopted us as his children. And he's done that through the work of the Son and the work of the Spirit. Here we see that Trinitarian dynamic that we talked about a little bit last week. God loves us so much that he claims us as his children. God loves us so much that he sent his Son to come and clear the way for us to belong to him forever. God loves us so much that in his Holy Spirit, he seals us as his children and he lives with us forever. Because our God is faithful and loving, He is our Heavenly Father, and we are His children. There is probably not a more powerful image we could find than to say the Lord our God is our faithful Father. Now, we have to be a little bit careful with that image because all of us have earthly fathers, and none of them are perfect. Some of us have dads or had dads who were pretty crummy people, honestly. They weren't pleasant. They were difficult. Some of us had dads who were really incredible, wonderful people. God, our Father, is more than that. Everything that our fathers do wrong, God can do right. Everything that our fathers do right, the Lord God does even more so. All human beings let us down, but God, our faithful Father in heaven, has claimed us as his children and we can rest confident in him forever. The Lord God is the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, and he's also our faithful father. Let me wrap up tonight by giving you three ways that this matters for our lives. How does this matter? Well, first, since God created everything and since God rules over everything, we should expect to find order and meaning in the universe. And that means that we should expect to be able to do things that matter. In our tradition, we have this saying, you may have heard it before, every square inch of creation belongs to God. The whole world, the whole universe belongs to God. Every single thing that we do can be a way of serving God. So whatever work we do, whatever recreation we engage in, whether we're making stuff or we're cleaning up the world or we're teaching young people or we're promoting business or we're keeping the books, everything that we do flows out of the order that God put into the world and everything that we do has the possibility of giving back to our creator in praise. We are called and we are gifted 
with a world that is shot full of order and meaning and possibility. We aren't in a situation where we have to worry about the world falling apart or where we have to worry that everything we do has no point. Because God, because the Lord, our creator, made the heavens and the earth, our lives, our work matters. And second, we can do everything to the glory of God. And more specifically, if we turn to Psalm 33, those beginning few verses, it calls us to always be singing and praising the Lord. This psalm is about the Lord who creates the universe and is our Heavenly Father, and it begins with a call to praise. The first three verses of Psalm 33, over and over again, call God's people to come, come and praise the Lord. Sing joyfully to the Lord, praise the Lord, sing a new song, shout for joy. Because God is the powerful and dependable creator of the world, we praise him. Because God is our loving heavenly father, we praise him. The word of God teaches us about God, and it also calls us to come and do what we're doing tonight, to come and sing praises to God, to come and glorify his name. Faith leads to praise. Faith leads to praise, and truth leads to worship. Truth leads us to worship the Lord our God. So Psalm 33 opens by telling us to praise the Lord, and then it closes by telling us to wait in hope for the Lord because he is our hope and our shield. Psalm 33 tells us that we do not need to be frightened and lonely in this world. This universe can be a terribly frightening place. You step outside and you look up at the stars and you can feel how we might be just insignificant little specks on this little ball going around one star in the midst of a huge and scary universe. It's hard for us to know what's going to happen next, but our world belongs to God and we belong to God. And so we can wait and we can hope in him. Because we have the promises of God in the scripture, we know that God will provide for whatever we need, body and soul, and he'll even turn to good whatever adversity, whatever hard times, whatever trouble we experience in this world. God made the world right. God will make all things right. God is always faithful to his people. Always, always, our Heavenly Father is faithful to his children. So we praise our God, the Almighty Creator. We give thanks and we wait in trust on God, our Heavenly Father.